Hey folks, welcome back to Eat Well Podcast. It's Dylan here. So in this episode, I've invited Jimmy Flat from the Hunters of Color project. Now it's a relatively new project that Jimmy and his team, Lydia and Thomas, started, I think in 2020, so this past year. And they've had a tremendous response to what this project's about. And it's no, it's not lost on anybody here that hunting is a very white place. In the States, 96% of hunters are, are white. Um, so that leaves not a lot of room for black, indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC communities. Not a lot of place, not a lot of space to occupy. And if you're someone who is BIPOC, you're not likely to find a lot of people or that would make you f- feel comfortable stepping into this very white community. Now, I suspect that here in Canada, there's not too much different, the community of, of hunters, and for folks who are black, people of color here in Canada, the barriers and the challenges to jump in to becoming a hunter would no doubt be much more challenging than some of us who grown up with in hunting communities or when introduced to the hunting community through say fishing game club or uh, our backcountry hunters and anglers community, you'd see a lot of familiar faces or a lot of people that look like you when you walk in the door, thus making you feel more comfortable. So now just taking a step back, a year ago, the George Floyd killing resulted in global response in the Black Lives Matters movement and protests that really changed how at least I am approaching this life and and learning. And at the time I didn't really say or do a lot with within this platform or on my social media because I didn't really know how to respond and what the BLM movement meant. And I spent a lot of time in this past year learning about what the experience is like for people who black indigenous or people of color and how the additional barriers they have to deal with in getting through life in some and as someone who is trying to make hunting more accessible to all people i've been learning that there are additional barriers or different barriers or taller barriers for BIPOC people. And I'm trying to understand what that's all about. And I've been lucky enough to have great conversations along the way and develop a bigger, much, much deeper understanding and certainly had to become more comfortable with 
concepts like implicit bias or implicit racial bias or intersectionality or and systematic racism in organizations and I understand what that really means. I mean, I've heard those terms before, but this past year, the conversations that have had and and ultimately just listening to try and understand have put me in a better place to maybe have this conversation now. So um, I'm super grateful that Jimmy and, and, and Lydia and Thomas in a previous conversation offline um, shared a lot of their experiences and helped me understand their experience uh, trying to navigate in, in the hunting world and uh, and the good work, of course, that they're doing to to bring that good work to a larger audience. Um, and uh, I think things are really going to blow up for this group. And I just, uh, just in the last couple of days, they actually responded to a, a post by Meat Eater in a very thoughtful response, I think written by uh, Lydia on the team there. And it really challenges uh, well, everybody in the hunting industry to wake up to how to make the hunting community more accessible, inclusive, reduce barriers, and uh, to wake up a bit. So it, it's really well written, and I think it's going to get a real positive response uh, out there in, in the hunting community. And I'll, I'll definitely link that in the in the uh, at the in the in the notes here of the podcast as well. So, okay, that's a really long intro, but I think it's a couple of things that I wanted to share and I've wanted to share for some time now and uh, always looking for feedback on on how we can be more inclusive, more supportive uh, to create a more diverse uh, hunting community because that's a good thing. All right, let's get into this. Hey, Jimmy Flat, welcome to the Eat Wild podcast. How you doing? Good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. All right. So I, I, we've been sort of chatting a little bit on Instagram and, and, uh, and had a call a little while ago and I got, I was really quite excited to see what you're doing and, uh, wanted to reach out and learn, you know, learn more about what, what hunters of color is about and, uh, and yeah, just see if, uh, there's some common ground between certainly what you're doing and, and what I I've hoped to be doing with eat wild for some time now. And, and, uh, I was just really excited to see, uh, well, let, let's get, to, let's let, let give you the opportunity here. Just, can you tell me a little bit about what, what, what is hunters of color and, uh, What's uh what's the origin story? Um, so Hunters of Color is an aspiring nonprofit. Um, the IRS was supposed to get back to us yesterday, um, but they missed their deadline. So now they've asked for like a month extension. Uh, but we will be a nonprofit, um, and the goal is to break down barriers to entry for people of color. Um, and that ranges from like financial barriers. It ranges from, uh, I mean, you name it. We're, we're trying to break down the barriers to get into hunting because um, people of color, especially in the United States, have been uh, systemically removed historically from uh, outdoor spaces, um, hunting in particular. And uh, the demographics have kind of shifted in a way that show how that trend has kind of cascaded throughout history to make it so that when in 2016 when the united states fish and wildlife service did a demographic study it showed that 96 percent of license holders in the united states were white so um, we want to uh, try to make the demographics of hunting more representative of what the United States is, which is, I think, like 65% white, uh, I think it's like 16% black, 
uh, I think like 17 or 18 percent Hispanic, and all the other ones fill in the fill in the rest. But uh, yeah, so we exist to uh, break down barriers to entry. We're kind of an R3 style organization, um, which is recruitment, retention, and revitalization of hunters. Uh, yeah, we're we're fairly new. We started up in uh, the tail end of August, so right before uh, elk season here in Oregon, and uh, we've rapidly grown since, um, well, grown in following and also grown in kind of, we're getting attention in, in the, the industry. So um, it started off kind of as an observation as I was growing up. Uh, I grew up in California, uh, more specifically the North bay of the san francisco bay area where um it's a very diverse area um but not a lot of hunting goes on per se and as i was growing up i realized that well i'm like one of the only brown or black faces that i see out here um why is that and i kept questioning it all the way up through uh my end of or end of college until um the demographic study came out and at that point, I, well, before that, I'd been asking or talking about, hey, I want to do some outreach for, for people who wouldn't normally have the chance to get out and see outdoors. And I'd been talking about it for probably like three years when my partner, Lydia, uh, was like, stop talking about it and just do something about it. <laughs> so she, she bought me the, uh, the domain name, um, Hunter's Color. She got the Instagram, uh, the hash, uh, all the handles and stuff like that on social media and kind of just presented it to me and was like, do what you want with it. And uh, so at first it was, we didn't really know what to do, but uh, we rapidly shaped it into this nonprofit that we have going right now. Wow. Okay. It's quick. I, I, and I, I remember early on seeing some of the posts when you first came out and I, and it was like um, I've had a couple of a couple of points where I, I it's kind of like you have these little moments where you kind of wake up to something, and there was um, the uh, I'll go back a little bit. One of my, one of my first experiences with with this with with my uh, one of my best friends growing up is is a Korean was a Korean kid, and we we like you know hung around together all the time and and um, a good buddy of mine Damien and. Uh, and I was really into hunting at the time, and and I said to my dad, I said, "Hey, can we take Damien hunting with us?" And 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 my dad's response was like, "Yes, but it might be difficult for Damien because there's not a lot of people that look like him in the hunting community." And I didn't really know what that meant at the time, and I didn't really know like well, kind of why. Uh, but I, I'm starting to understand where my dad was coming from now that that ultimately that Damien probably wouldn't have been well received in certain environments and might have felt vulnerable and unwelcome. Uh, can you tell me about an experience for yourself where you've experienced that maybe what Damien may have experienced as a, as a new hunter? Yeah. Um, well, so I think humans as, as a whole, we always look for a community and one of the easiest things to uh, kind of look for when you're looking for that community is appearances. 
Um, and so humans are uh, attracted to people who they feel a connection to. And so um, I can't speak for Damien. I, I won't speak for any other hunters or uh, any other people of color, but I can speak from my own experiences where um, when you are the only, um, I mean, personal experiences that when you're only the only brown person in the group and then they start saying racist things, you kind of think that it's directed at you, but in reality, it's not, usually it's not directed at you. It's just, they have these presuppositions and biases that um, kind of well, are in them and they, they let them out sometimes and hunting, they feel comfortable to say, to, I don't know. Um, so that was one of my experiences, just uh, looking for community and not really being able to find it while hunting. Um, and having to, like, I had to go through a lot of hunting buddies, uh, quote unquote buddies, um, until I ended up with a, a really good group of people and it, it's still shifting. And, um, sometimes I don't feel comfortable around different people. Uh, and those people don't stick around long around me. <laughs> um, I kind of cast them out and, uh, just, I'm trying to make my own community for myself. Um, where I feel comfortable and I know that I'm not being judged based on my heritage or whatever. Um, so yeah, from my personal experience that that's probably what your dad was alluding to is that, um, he will stand out as being different, um, to the rest of everybody that was there. Um, and in, in some cases, so like I didn't, I loved hunting so much that I like kind of pushed past that and didn't really let it affect me. Um, but at a certain point you kind of, when people are saying, uh, obscene things, you, I mean, you brush them off your shoulders, but then at the very end of the, you, you it weighs on you a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I can't speak for everybody. I'm speaking for myself and, uh, that's, that's one barrier to entry. So if you're, if you're looking for community and you only see, oh, it's like one thing we've heard a lot um, as we started this is, oh yeah, well, I heard it a lot too growing up when I tried to get my, my Mexican friends um, involved in hunting. They're like, oh man, hunting's a white man's sport. Uh, we don't do that. It's for mm -hmm. it's what rednecks and white white guys do. And I was like, no, 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 everybody's hunted. If you're here today, your ancestors have hunted. Um, and they were really good at it because you're alive. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. and so for some people it's like this weird detachment where they like they i mean they're they weren't handed down the tradition um from their parents because their parents gave it up when either they immigrated to the united states or um they're too busy working or, or whatever it was like my best friend raul i always try to get him out into hunting and he was like oh man that's that's a white man's sport i said no it's not your your dad hunted in mexico before he he immigrated to the United States and his dad was always too busy to, to hunt with them and kind of pass along the, the knowledge that he grew up learning. Um, and it wasn't until I started hunters of color that he was finding like, okay, yeah, I think I'm ready to go on this journey with you. Um, because now he's actually seeing that there are people that look like him. There are Mexican hunters around the United States. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, it's just a testament to, to seeing people that look like you and making it a, a warming, welcoming environment for people who have been, who have felt like they've been uh, cast out from either historical reasons or uh, family not passing it down or whatnot. Yeah, I caught myself the other day uh, just acknowledge or seeing my own bias when I, I I've been hosting these um, uh, hunting webinars, how to hunt webinars or learn to hunt webinars, right? And they've been super great. I've been getting like you know sixty or eighty people signing up, and so and then I roll through a couple hours of a how to hunt topic that I think is important, and uh, so by virtue of that, I'm doing these on Zoom, right? So you've got these little squares going across the screen, right? So I've got like forty squares up or whatever, sixty squares across the screen, or whatever Zoom lets you have in the window, and there's there was one black guy out of all of these little boxes. And I, my, I went to him like, there's a, there's a black guy. And that my brain was like, that's weird. And then I was like, no, that's awesome. Like, this is great. And in like, in my world, there's, there's lots of, you know, um, I, I grew up in Vancouver. So like I grew up like my, my, my understanding, we're very, very, very much. So a um, multicultural city. And, and so like, I, I don't, when I, there's lots of, um, Asian folks, lots of South South Indian folks in, in my South Asian Indian folks uh, in in my community, and as a result, I see a lot of like there's a high percentage of those folks coming through my programs. But certainly, living up here in Canada, like seeing a, a, a black fella joining my program was I was like I was like this doesn't fit, and that was great. To, I was like that's really cool that this is happening, and wow, and I'm just like so shocked at myself for for feeling that way. So question for you, how do I make, like, how do I make that person feel more included in an environment where they're looking at 60 squares and nobody looks like them? Man, that's, that's hard. Cause you can't really, you can't point it out because then you're doing the exact opposite. I mean, at least I wouldn't want somebody to be like, Hey, look, you're only a brown person in this group. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think we all have our own little, um, it's called implicit biases. Um, and there's a test that you can take. Uh, it's free and it just kind of shows you like, um, you, everybody has implicit biases and especially within the hunting community. I think when you see a black face, it's, it's so uncommon because 96% of all the faces are going to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, you you kind of go yeah i mean yeah it's like whenever i would see when i used to see like a hispanic hunter i'd be like i'd want to go up to him and talk to him and be like how how did you get into hunting because it's like (laughs) it's so rare that you see uh anybody other than a white man out here hunting um but it's like i heard this one story it was like these hikers who it's like these black hikers and somebody asked them well how are we supposed to address you when we see you on the trail and they were like, well, we either get like the standard head nod, which is exactly what you should do. Um, and then we get like the, like they ignore you kind of people who don't say anything, just don't pre- pretend like you don't exist. And then you have the, the people who are like over the top about it or like, oh my God, it's so awesome that you're out here hiking. Is there anything that we can do for you? <laughs> And uh, they're like, yeah, that's kind of weird too. So um, just the the standard, howdy, how are you? Are you good? 
kind of deal passing by just head nod um yeah i i i, I the the goal of hunters of color is to not make it or make it so that seeing a brown or black face in the hunting community isn't weird and you're just it gets to the point where it's so normalized that um you don't have to have those thoughts you don't have to have those little biases in your head kind of popping up and being like oh, this is this is stands out um so i mean that's what we're we're doing with our feature fridays where we we highlight somebody who is a hunter a successful hunter um who is black or brown or i mean bipoc so um asian middle eastern what you name um and we're trying to show that yeah hunting doesn't belong to any one person it belongs to everybody that's that's kind of our our tagline um the outdoors are for everyone and we mean it we uh we're trying to yeah we're just trying to break down all these different biases that people have and make everybody feel welcome um and it it takes a lot of courage to to jump into that so that the black guy that you had on your your uh, forum um your webinar he he probably noticed it himself probably but he's probably no stranger to it being in the pacific yeah. northwest um and uh yeah i mean it everybody wants to get into or a lot of people want to get into hunting right now and it's uh it's just a perfect time for us to start breaking down all these barriers and um, breaking down these uh, misconceptions and and whatnot. So, yeah, it's awesome that he joined and uh, yeah, I'm happy that you brought that up because uh, it probably is something that a lot of people notice too. Like, uh, I mean, I, I I certainly pick up on different looks when I'm especially out in like Eastern Oregon where. Uh, they probably haven't even seen a black or brown person in their entire life out in far eastern Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the most. So if, to answer your question, I think the thing you can do is just treat everybody the same, make everybody feel super welcome. Um, and uh, one of the things that we're doing on our side is teaching people how to be anti-racist. And so that, what that means, in a nutshell, from the super high high levels just stand up against any racist type comments or anything that would exclude people or um, be construed as racist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, that that's great. And I, and I have to say, like, like, like I, I follow you guys pretty closely on, on, on Instagram and, and it was, it was, it was actually cool. Cause I, I mean, I, I've been following you and I, I'm seeing these images of people of color out on the hunt and having success. And, 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 when I was just on your website now, just doing a quick read through in preparation for this, there's a picture of Thomas with this like massive mule deer buck. And my brain didn't go there. It was just like right on that's a happy hunter with a deer. And I, like, it, it doesn't take much to just start to see it and retrain yourself and, and, and try to like, and, and, you know, and, and acknowledge and then deal with those implicit biases and that's something that is i mean right there that's a big help for me that you, you've provided and I, I just want to thank you for that and uh yeah no that's cool okay well we got some so we, we don't have a ton of time with you here and there's a few things i'd like to know a little bit more about how the like what's the so you've got some awesome goals and we've, and we've talked about that but how, how are we going to get there like what, what's the plan for hoc and how do you how do you what's how how do you plan to function 
Uh, so primarily we're, we're serving as a, we're basically an R3 organization. Um, to do any of this work, it's going to require funding. Um, but what we are, our primary focus is to get hunters out on hunts, educate hunters on how to be successful. And then we're, we're really keen on to, uh, like staying consistent with our hunters, the people we reintroduce, the people we, um, I mean, we introduce to the hunting because one of the things that we've, we've been noticing is that a lot of the R3 efforts are like one time come hunt with us and then go out to the wolves and sink or swim kind of deal. Um, and yeah, it might, that might, that style might work for maybe 10% um, of the hunters, but a lot of people are going to require more of that generational kind of wisdom to be passed down. Mm -hmm. And um, because our audience, because our, who we're, we're trying to help um, have been removed from the picture for potentially multiple generations, they don't have that generational wealth to tap into. And so we're, we've created a mentorship program where we link up um, aspiring hunters to uh, achieved hunters. So people who have the ability to pass on the knowledge that they've picked up. Um, and so the mentorship program is going to be like more of a one-on-one -on -one type deal. Um, and along those lines, I'll also be invited out to any events that we host. Um, but the, the idea is to, to make it so that like, uh, I mean, I was, I wasn't taught by my father. I kind of taught my father how to hunt. Um, mm -hmm. he wasn't really into it. Uh, but he like encouraged me to pursue my passions. And, um, so like, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's, uh, it's always nice to have somebody else to learn with. Um, and so that's what we're, we're trying to do with the mentorship program is give people the ability to ask questions, um, kind of, kind of get eased into it instead of just being like, all right, here's how you hunt and then see you later kind of deal. So, um, we're also working with, uh, different agencies, uh, in the United States, one of which is the nature conservancy, um, BHA has been a really big help to us. Um, for mentors and uh, and just a, lo a lot of help in the, the nonprofit realm, um, we are working locally on getting um, private land access for our mentorship program. Um, yeah, so we're we're growing rapidly. Uh, we have a huge following in uh, like five primary states, so Oregon. Uh, California and Washington are probably the top, they're in the top five. Uh, then New Mexico, Colorado, and then New York are like the next uh, big states. And so what we plan to do is branch out into those states and uh, start doing a lot more reefs or outreach into the, those states, uh, pretty much concurrent with Oregon and all the other states that we got going on. So um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I can see it happening. It's such a 
I can see the growth, you know, it's and even just the, this, the amount of engagement you guys have on, on your social media platforms is pretty awesome to see. There's like, there's, I think everybody, well, these people in the hunting community are going, wow, this is, this is really needed and it's timely. And I can imagine there's a lot of interest in, in, in partnering with you and, and, and helping, um, see this forward because there is such a, such a need for it. Um, I have a couple of questions about, you know, the mentorship piece. I'm just curious, and this, you know, maybe something that, you know, like when it comes to a mentor, like can, can, a, can, a, can, a, can a white hunter offer that mentorship to a person of color who wants to find their way? Yeah. Um, we are opening up our mentorship program, uh, the mentor side to any experienced hunters who are committed to anti-racism. Um, so along those lines, we're going to be doing some anti-racism training. Um, and so even if you are a, a black hunter who has experience, you're going to go through the anti-racism training as well, because you might as well have some biases against Hispanic people or uh, Native American people or whatever, whatever it is. So uh, we're requiring it of all of our mentors uh, because safety is our primary concern with this program uh we one of which is physical safety so standard always point the gun in the straight direction sure. uh, type stuff to uh, mental safety which is potential like uh, you, i mean you don't want anybody to feel unwelcome especially mm -hmm. in a program like this so uh we're really focused in on those two things to make sure that we're we're really keen into what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I've been, you know, but the whole eat well program has been about how to create mentorship for people who don't come from traditional hunting backgrounds. So urban folks who want to reconnect with nature and want to go out and get wild food, but have no idea where to start and don't have that community of support to help them. And, and so, I mean, there's definitely that, that mentorship piece, which, which is one big, one you know huge lift if you can find someone that can take you through and, and support you and, and train you but then there's also it's just so incredibly important that that community like that community of people that are part of this journey with you that it's exciting to go go on plan your hunts be come talk about hunting this all the things there's, there's just such so many layers of 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 uh of what hunting can be and then and it's but you you can't do it isolated because there's just too much too much knowledge and too much you know skills that you need to develop you need you need help and and that's a that's that's so so what is what does community building look like to you um let's let's go back to that i have one quick thing to add um so like this last week we were in california with uh we did a hunt in my hometown of sonoma and uh, we took out four different hunters, uh, two of which, or three of which got their first turkey. Um, and one of which had been hunting since the beginning of COVID. Uh, his name's Max Fennell. He's a triathlete um, based out of uh, the Bay Area. And he had gone over a hundred times trying to, uh, to tag a turkey. And it wasn't until he came out with us that he was able to get his first turkey and like the joy on his face and how appreciative he was of finally having somebody to connect the dots between uh, the 
what he had been trying to do and then to actually get to a success, successful point, he was just, I mean, you'll, we're going to be posting a video about it, about it soon. Um, but yeah, he, he was like, this is what the mentorship is all about because you have the knowledge that I don't. And because my parents didn't pass it down to me, I needed somebody else to, and you guys were able to show me this. And now I'm going to be able to, to realize or figure out where I'm lacking in my skills and improve on them and hopefully get another two Turkey by the end of the season. So <laughs> he's, he was super excited. Yeah. Fired up. I bet. Uh, yeah i think i saw some pictures about that hunt beautiful uh beautiful content though that was uh you're working with some great folks there yeah it uh it really helps that we're in probably the, one of the prettiest spots of the valley and during the prettiest time of the year it was just lush lush and green um all the wildflowers were were popping up and um the turkeys were in in full full swing so did you get was, a bird did you were you uh, successful? I personally didn't hunt. I was just guiding um, the whole time, and uh, I've gotten to the point uh, with turkey that um, I've had so much success with turkey that I'm just willing to to pass it along to people, and um, I actually get a lot more joy seeing new hunters get their first birds than I do out of getting my own bird. Um, so it's yeah, I'm I'm kind of in this weird weird spot in my hunting career where i'm like i'm not i'm not putting myself in front of i used to put myself in front of uh others but now it's kind of transitioning to where I, i'm really absorbing this or like fully embracing the, the mentor mentality <laughs> yeah yeah it's a pretty special moment when you can be there with someone and they have that experience and yeah especially after working for many years if not yeah yeah many hunts and many years to, to get there and yeah, that's just so it's so much fun. I I've been fortunate to be on that that side of things many times, and uh, and I think that's something that you, as you mature as a hunter, you you find that that becomes more more interesting or more exciting than you know a harvest yourself. So yeah, um, so yeah, I so I I'm thinking about a couple things, and and we're we're down to another twelve minutes here left that we have to work with, but um, I have a thought about like like I. I, so I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in a, I, I, I spent a lot of time talking to, to, to my hunting community about, uh, how we, how we project ourselves within society, how we represent ourselves and how, what, what type of stories that we share. And, and we're actually kind of mired in our own little, in our own hunt. There's a bit of a controversy within the hunting community here in British Columbia around, um, there's kind of a push and a call for, uh, um, banning some of our, our, of our of our carnivore hunts like wolf hunt and potentially, you know, there's some pressure potentially on the bear hunt. Um, and this is, there's some activist groups that are, um, that are, you know, against hunting of wolves and whatnot. And, and, and they're recycling images of, of, of hunters who are posting, you know, fairly graphic images of, of hunters holding up dead wolves or sitting on top of dead bears and, and, and sort of saying this is wrong and people shouldn't be doing this. And then sharing that with the larger members of the public that don't understand anything about hunting. And of course they're generating, uh, um, you know, momentum for, for potentially swaying how politicians see the value of hunting and whether it should persist. So as a hunting community that like, I'm like, well, let's just stop posting pictures of dead wolves and let's stop, 
posting these graphic pictures that don't do anything for telling a positive story about the hunting community. And of course, that doesn't get well received within the hunting community because people are like, that's my right to post what I want and everybody can go to hell. And and there's just sort of like this, the, the hunting community in itself, and I, and I guess what it amounts to is like, they, I don't have a ton of faith in the hunting community, the larger hunting community to soften some edges, you know, in some areas. Like, and I guess where I'm going to with this, like, like, and maybe it's where I'm going with my own journey to be like trying to make, you know, hunting more a created a created a more accessible place for hunters like should i be trying to change the minds of and the actions of hunters and how they project themselves i mean and we're talking about a very small group of hunters on the fringes that are at you know that want to continue to have this unethical behavior in the current eyes and the eyes of modern society um versus just building a new community and celebrating that new community so i imagine as someone who's trying to change how hundreds of color are accepted that like there's just going to be an element of the hunting community that's just that's just going to be i don't i i mean just pretty awful i'm going to guess about this and you're going to see that hear from that awful part of community do you do you see the value is your value in investing time to say hey this is wrong and we should behave better or would you invest your time in saying just ignoring those voices and saying let's build a better community and represent a new community so we've had this discussion quite a bit here um we we certainly are going to cast out the um i mean the racist ideas that persist um we um i mean we hope that everybody has the ability to to see what we are trying to do as a good thing um there's this one we've yeah we've gotten some lash back and i think people (laughs) have you seen the article that we we a rebuttal to meat eater no no i'd love to see it uh okay so they uh, last week they uh they did this piece that that was like the argument against recruitment for hunters um and or for r3 programs and in it 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 sounded like um or they they forgot to think about groups like us who have been um groups of people who have been kind of pushed out of hunting for uh, decades. And so our rebuttal was like, hey, you guys messed up because you forgot to think about people who don't have friends and family to show them how to hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then they responded saying, oh yeah, you're completely right. We, we neglected to see this. Um, but when they did that, they mentioned our name. They mentioned, oh, the best rebuttal that we got was from Hunters of Color. And right after that, on April Fool's, uh i'm 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 comfortable saying his name donald trump's son jr or whatever i don't know his name (laughs) made an april fool's post saying hey i'm gonna quit hunting because i'm a white man and i'm so privileged that i should just give off my hunting rights and i should and he goes down like this whole like rant of things Uh and then at the very end he says april fools i'll never give up my rights or something like that yeah 
And so that's like the, that's one narrative we've gotten from people within the community. They're like, well, does more rights for people of color, hunters of color mean that I'm going to have less? No, it obviously doesn't mean you're going to have less. It just means that we're going to have different people's voices and opinions at the table, um, which will only make the community better. Um, and the people who have the ability to understand that and see that are like 100% for it. Uh, we so but th those are fringe people those are the people that um, are going to argue with everything anything new um, but for the most part we, we've had a, a really good um, a really good feedback on our mission and um, I mean, pretty much everybody is on board with with what we're trying to do which is increase diversity within the outdoor community uh, specifically in hunting and um, we in the in the article we talked about well we're the table so we had like this little graphic where it's a, a table says all hunters welcome and um we we were trying to get meat eater to bite um to see our our rebuttal and so we we tagged them on the table and on the chairs it said white male white says male white says male and in the far corner under cobwebs and kind of dilapidated was a chair that said BIPOC. And our argument or our nuance to that was there's this table that exists that was built for white people in mind. Mm -hmm. We have been set called said, you're welcome at our table. Um, but what there's a difference between saying you're welcome and this was built for you. And so what we're trying to do is just, I mean, one, we're trying to break down the table and let's build a new table that's built for everybody where everybody has a seat at it. And just because the old table is broken, doesn't mean you can't come take a seat at the new table. So that's kind of a, an analogy that um, hopefully that answers your question because we're not trying to exclude anybody. We're not trying to get rid of anybody's rights or hunting heritage. We're just trying to involve people who have been excluded for generations and uh yeah so 100%. everybody's welcome <laughs> no and i just like it's so obvious to me like the way forward and you know you know my my fear it, it were, were is that my way of life could be taken away from me because people don't understand my way of life and don't support it and there's always going to be more people out there that don't hunt than do hunt and and so my objective is to just try and share a positive story about why I hunt and gain acceptability from a, a much more diverse community. And, and, and like, I, you know, and, and my way of doing that is to create an inclusive environment that I'm inviting more people into my, into my community of hunting and, and sharing that. And like, I see no better way. Like if you can broaden and, and, and bring in a, a whole group of people that have never been invited into the hunting community, to start to understand, to participate in, of course, understand what hunting's about. It's just going to strengthen, like you know, hunting and, and the ability for hunting to persist in our modern society. And I just, it just seems like such a, like such an obvious good thing. Not that Donald Trump Jr. will ever see that connection, but I think the average person who hunts gets it, and and will will get behind this. And I think you're seeing that by this the general excitement and support for the project you're doing from. A number of people that are that are excited about it so 
yeah, you have if you have more voices at the table, you're gonna have different. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be able to solve problems, I think, more effectively than you were in the past when you didn't have the voices of certain people that were weren't involved. Um, especially for for communities within cities, um, if let's say uh, a black hunter in so let's say San Francisco, for instance um hunts then all of his friends know that he hunts and now hunting is destigmatized and they know a hunter now um, and they're more likely to i mean if there's a vote if they have to vote on things and they're gonna they might ask their friend hey look what is this coming up about uh mountain lion hunting in the state of california um, and then they can educate the actually it was bear black bear hunting this last year and so yeah, if you have more voices and you have more people kind of doing outreach, then I think the hunting heritage will be stronger for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. This has been a lot of fun, Jimmy. I, I, I've i really enjoyed, well, you sharing your time with me. And I've learned a lot from both this conversation and the previous conversation I had with, with Thomas and Lydia, and it's helping me. Um, just do a better job of what I'm trying to do. Just, and uh, so I really value that and I appreciate it. So thank you for, for, for sharing your time with me. But before I let you go, I always like to ask a couple of questions. Like, okay, I'm going to give you two questions. Okay. Yeah. What, what is like your dream hunt for your, you know, your local state? Like what, what's the hunt you most want to do in, in, in Oregon or, or is you're in Oregon now, I believe? Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm in Oregon right now. Um, Man, I, I mean, I still haven't gotten my first elk, um, so I would have to say, right now it's probably elk because I've been trying for the last four years and I've gotten within fifteen yards. Well, first year was fifteen yards. The next year was like twenty-two yards, and then the last year was like sixty-one, and <laughs> still have not been able to to make it make it happen. And so, um, elk. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to to go back down to California and get a bighorn uh, ram in California, uh, but that's a once in a lifetime hunt, and um, I probably will never draw that in my entire life. But uh, fingers crossed. But that's the point of the question, right? Is you get to kind of dream a bit, right? So okay, the second half of the question. So say 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 you got Thomas and Lydia and Toe. Three of you are going to go on an adventure hunt in British Columbia what adventure hunt would you want to go on and how would you want to do it? So like, you, you, you know, you can kind of think about it a little bit, like horses or jet boats or, you know, flying to a lake or, you know, what, what, what would be a dream hunt if you could hunt in the pristine wilderness of British Columbia with a few of your favorite people? Oh, this is easy. So <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> It'd be a moose hunt cool. and a fishing trip. Um, and uh, I would like to float down, uh, a river or system of rivers that um, take you through moose country. Um, I mean, I one of my favorite things to do is, is float. Um, and if you combine floating, fishing, and hunting all in one, I think that would be like, you could probably kill me after the hunt and I'd be, <laughs> I'd die a happy man. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, you'll have to, uh, that's awesome. And I, I got lots of ideas for you when you're ready to, to take a trip up here. Um, we're doing that this year. We're just starting off, uh, 
this is my last serious podcast. Now the next series of podcasts that I get to do are uh, just adventure hunt planning. So my, my uh, Jenny Peterson, my hunting partner, and then a couple of my good buddies uh, are we're, we're planning uh, a fly-in pack rafting hunt. So we'll fly into the Northern Rockies. We're going to hike over the Continental Divide with our pack rafts and then drift out a Northern Rocky River back to back to civilization and like wow. all the way. Just like there's it's a sheep hunt and. Yeah, but uh, we'll see like lots of moose and elk as we float down the valley in our pack rafts and catching yeah. grayling along the way. And yeah, so sign me up. <laughs> yeah, well, you can come I'll, along. I'll, I'll come along just to be a pack mule. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah, I mean, these are fun trips, man, and 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 hopefully we can be friends. And and I'm I'm, I'm stoked for what you're doing, and I'd like to keep in touch. And uh, yeah, if there's anything I can do to help and contribute to the 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 HOC uh, project, I'm I'm not too far away. So. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having this conversation. I think it it sometimes it takes a, a bold move to have a conversation like this because sometimes it can be triggering or, or it's a sensitive topic to some. Um, but I I love how you are willing to have the conversation and, and listen. Um, that's where it starts. I think if anybody's looking to get involved or or whatnot, just start listening to. Um, what your your friends of color have to say, and um, yeah, I'm super excited about what we're doing, and so happy that you'd have us on you. Cool. So, how do we how do we how do how do our listeners find you? Uh, you can visit our Instagram page, which we're most active on. Uh, you can go to our website, uh, which is huntersofcolor.com. Uh, it'll soon be huntersofcolor.org. Once the IRS gets back to us, <laughs> right on. Uh, if you know anybody at the IRS, start poking them and telling them to push our application forward. <laughs> well, sounds like you got a bit of a relationship with Donald Trump Jr. Maybe you can get him to, you know, see if he's still got some pull in the White House. Yeah, yeah, we might have to uh, create a bridge there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Good. I don't know about I that. Don't want that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, man. We'll leave it at that. But this was a lot of fun, Jimmy. And say hi to your crew. And uh, yeah, best of luck in the next little while here. I hope you get that uh, good word from the IRS and get rolling. Thanks, Dylan. Okay, excellent. Okay, see ya. Bye. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. That was great. <laughs>